0: Glad to see so many of you made it through the messy weather and the messy traffic, so thank you for being here. Welcome to the Green Room of the Veterans Building in San Francisco. This is Wednesday, March 2nd, 2011. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. It's my privilege and pleasure, I'm happy to be here for this Points of View program in San Francisco Ballet's 78th repertory season our points of view lecture series the meet the artist interviews that take place in the Opera House other educational programming these are sponsored by the and produced by the Center for Dance Education under the directorship of Charles Chip McNeil and coordinated by adult education coordinator Cecilia Beam as I'm sure you all know at this point these programs many of them are recorded for podcasting and you can go to the ballet's website which is a treasure trove Um, check on the podcasts of lectures that have taken place and interviews that have taken place there are videos there's a wonderful blog it's called studio 455 so I really encourage you to check often on the website for what's new and what's exciting and what's about to happen I want to remind you that for these programs now, we are able to provide you with listening devices. So if any of you feel that our sound could be enhanced for your pleasure, please check in the back, and uh, someone will have one of those devices for you. I think you may have to produce a piece of ID to check it out. So, again... Welcome, welcome to those of you who are here, welcome to those of you who are old friends, welcome to those of you who are new, and welcome to those listening to a podcast on the website. This evening, we're focusing particularly on Program 4. If you feel as though you may have skipped something, you haven't, we're out of order Program three will get our attention next week. Actually, I think we should look at programs three and four together because they illustrate the breadth of repertoire that we've come to expect in any repertory season. Over a period of two weeks, the company performs six works of widely varying styles, tonight we'll try to gain some insights into the planning and the maintaining of this repertoire and next week we'll delve into the challenges faced by the performers on the one hand this particular program for consists of three very different styles on the other hand each of the three pieces is danced to the music of one composer Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky As a knowledgeable ballet audience, we're all well familiar with the big three. We could probably each identify Swan Lake or Sleeping Beauty or, of course, Nutcracker if we heard just a little phrase. Most of us are probably also familiar with the Serenade for Strings, which is our beloved serenade. Many of us could probably identify the final movement of the orchestral suite number three, known to us as theme and variations. How many of us knew that in addition to six symphonies, 10 operas, four orchestral suites, three piano concertos, only one violin concerto, a whole bunch of other fantasias and overtures. Let's remember the 1812 overture. Tchaikovsky wrote four string quartets, a sextet, 106 songs, and over 100 small piano works. 20th century choreography, choreographers, notably George Balanchine, found that many of his compositions that were not written for dance should have been. Malanchine created at least 13, if not more, ballets to Tchaikovsky scores. Although popular with concert and ballet audiences around the world from the beginning, Tchaikovsky's music was often dismissed by American critics in the early to mid-20th century as being vulgar, And lacking in sophistication and, well, substance. By the end of the 20th century, however, his status as a significant composer was redeemed. He died in 1893, just a year after composing The Nutcracker, at the age of 53. So this program opens with theme and variations choreographed by George Balanchine in 1947 for Ballet Theatre, soon to become American Ballet Theatre. A story that I've heard is that the company Ballet Theatre had been performing a version of the third act of Sleeping Beauty and the audiences were tired of it and they needed something to alternate with it that would fill the same programming requirements. And they retained Balanchine for this and Balanchine kept the Tchaikovsky choosing instead or choosing for this programming requirement, the final movement from the orchestral suite number three, which is written in the theme and variation form. He said that his intent was to evoke the glory of the golden age of the imperial Russian ballet. I think he did and to create a tribute to the classic ballerina. He set the work on Alicia Alonso and Igor Yuskevich, both renowned for their technical prowess. The choreography quotes the classical source. The framework is classical, but the result is the brilliance of Balanchine's movement inventions. We have... A work that displays a classical company and a work that showcases a company's most technically secure principles. We're looking at Francis Chung and uh, Vitor?: No, Taras. Taras Dimitro I'm sorry who performed it uh, in the opening performance last week. and what could more evoke the glory of the Imperial Russian Ballet and the glory of the classical ballerina supported by the classical company. Next on the program is the San Francisco Ballet premiere of Winter Dreams created by the English choreographic giant Sir Kenneth MacMillan. He did this for England's Royal Ballet in 1991. Macmillan is best known for his dramatic works. He created five full-length ballets, including the iconic Romeo and Juliet, um, immortalized, in the film starring Fontaine and Nereyev, and then later performed um, all over and in San Francisco by the American Ballet Theater. The San Francisco Ballet audience was introduced to McMillan's work in 1999 through the dramatic one-act ballet, The Invitation. And then we were delighted by elite syncopations to the Ragtime score in 2003. In Winter Dreams, he's taken his point of departure from the play by Russian playwright Anton Chekhov. The Three Sisters, a word about Anton Chekhov. <clears throat> this Russian writer is renowned for a large body of short stories, indeed for advancing the very form of the short story, and he is held in exceedingly high esteem by writers and critics for that. And then he produced and is famous for his four classic plays, The Seagull, Uncle Vanya, The Three Sisters, and The Cherry Orchard. These masterpieces challenge audiences and actors alike because in place of conventional action Chekhov offers a theater of mood and something described as submerged life in the text. It's understood that his own traumatic childhood inspired the pervading themes of hypocrisy and futility and despair. In Macmillan's ballet, Winter Dreams, it's important to realize that we do not see an enactment of the play. Grant Coyle, who is dance notator and the repetitor who staged the work for San Francisco Ballet, is quoted in our program notes. You'll see them in your program. He says, part of what makes this ballet significant is that it's not an abstract piece, and it's not a real narrative piece. It just glimpses the play, aspects of it, and he didn't, he, choreographer, didn't want to follow the play slavishly. What's most important, Coyle says, is to convey Kenneth's idea of these three sisters and their dissatisfaction with their lives, this yearning to have something else without it being too melancholic. According to Coyle, Macmillan was always interested in the outsider in society, and he was something of an outsider himself. Macmillan, that is. He's quoted as saying that there's an outside figure in all the things that I do. To be sure, we will see characters dressed in period costume, and each is clearly portraying a personal drama, Coyle says most of what the dancers need to know about their characters is built into the choreography. But he looks for good actors when casting and works with them closely in their interpretation. The music is a compilation of less familiar pieces by Tchaikovsky. There's no orchestra. Instead, balalaika, mandolin, and guitar players, and a pianist sit behind a curtain as if they are part of the dinner party that figures in the piece their music is a selection of tchaikovsky pieces along with some traditional russian songs and they provide all of the accompaniment for the dance as well as the atmosphere mcmillan chose the music with the ballet's original pianist because there were so many different characters in the ballet they listened to a lot of small tchaikovsky pieces and picked what they thought would suit it's quite intimate in the sense that there's a dinner going on in the background and the pianist is in the room so it's more like a chamber piece in a way and then he says grant Coyle says even though some of the music is very ravishing and romantic i would say most of the music is ravishing and romantic And then he points out that the balalaikas give it the Russian flavor, and Tchaikovsky is what it is. In short, this is a work that provides us with meaty characterizations, exquisite and quite difficult dancing, and then the music, both poignant and delicious. I regret that some of our pictures don't really show you that scene of the dinner party which is behind the scrim upstage but that will you will you will see that when you go to the theater uh, here is Lorena Feijó uh, dancing the role of the I believe it's the older spinster sister Masha no Olga Olga Sofiane Silva and Teet Helimetz. Sofiane is the sister Masha Tietz is her lover. Um, Maria Kochkova dancing the youngest sister, Irina. Tonight's guest is going to fill us in on the third piece on the program, which is his own piece, his own world premiere this season, and of course it's our very great pleasure to have a choreographer with us. It's also our pleasure to have the artistic director of our company who can really, I hope, provide us with some of the uh, keys to the puzzle of how a repertory season is put together and how he has managed to create the, the wealth, the riches that we get to see. So, Helgi, I'd like to invite you to join me. Please welcome Helgi Thomason. I sort of have to wade through the foliage here, too. That's good. So again, thank you so much for taking time in this busy season. We're still in the, in the busyness of the season. There's a lot yes, ahead of us.
1: We're not even halfway through yet.
0: Yes, not even halfway. But um, this, as I said, this, these two programs seem to be a set and to um, really offer such a wide variety of contemporary and neoclassical and um, dramatic and it seems just a, a good opportunity for us to talk about the mysteries and the wonders of repertoire planning. Um, we will get to actually talking about your own piece, which I think we're calling a success. It was beautiful, Trio. Thank you. Um, there's a quote that um, we find in the histories of San Francisco ballet um, attributed to, um, or not not to, but about the, one of the founding directors, Willem Christensen. And it is said, in order to train classical dancers, Willem Christensen gave his dancers classics to dance. And I wondered if you would sort of comment on that, and then maybe we could rephrase it to, in order to train contemporary dancers, we give our dancers... Um, how do you feel about that creating a repertoire for your dancers.
1: Well, first of all, I, I agree with that quote. Uh, I think it's very important for dancers to be trained in the classical style, the classical technique. And I think that the, uh, the, more, the more stronger grasp they have of that technique, the, it allows them the freedom to move freely. Um, and it's amazing that through that basic classical training, ballet training, uh, they can do the contemporary or even the, cont- if you want to call it modern, dance um, quite easily, which is quite amazing, whereas you cannot go the other way around. You cannot take a modern dancer and make them dance classical ballet. It's just, it just doesn't work. So, for me, it is very important that they have a strong classical base. Uh, and to keep that, you have to continuously have them challenged by choreography that, that requires strong technical demand and challenges. Because without that, uh, it is so easy to lose that, that technique. Um, because if you don't if you're not required to use it, it, just you lose it. So I think it's um, one of those things that is very, very important for the company to do.
0: But clearly, our company does not dance, only classical works. That's right. And there's an amazing um, spread of style. Later in the season, we'll be seeing the extraordinarily different uh, work of Wayne McGregor. Um, in this season, we have... Um, very classically based, but used in a unique way, Macmillan. Um, we aren't, this, these two programs don't show us, oh yes, I'm sorry, they do, um, Artifact Suite. That's right. By um, Forsythe, Forsythe. asks yeah. the dancers to do extraordinarily different things with their bodies than Pettipaw.
1: But yet, William Forsythe was the first one to admit that he took his inspiration from Balanchine. And um, you can see that in the work, how influenced he has been in this particular work of, of Balanchine's, um, not only the formation, but the, 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 how he uses the core, uh, core de ballet, and, and the, what he makes them do. And I think this is a big ensemble work, and I think it's very important for the company to feel that unity um, we have done this ballet before and I wanted to bring it back. And it's exactly because of the, uh, the, the variance, what, what I like when I do programming to um, show different aspects of, of the company and different moods and, and uh, styles.
0: I wonder how many people really appreciate the, um, the mysteries of the puzzle, putting the puzzle together of programming. Is it fair to say, where do you start? You're looking two years down the road and you say, okay, how shall we start putting together a season?
1: It is a puzzle. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. And um, where do you start? That's a very good question. I think it's, I look sometimes at what, what have we done recently? What do we need to do? Um, what valleys have I seen that I would like to acquire? To the company's repertory that might not have been seen here, uh, what choreographers would I like to invite, or invite back to do new work for us? So um, it, it's, it's sort of all—it's a little—I can't describe how to how to. There, there's no set formula. It's it's programming is is it's it's very difficult to do because you also think of the uh, the the dancers you have. What would they be dancing? There are times you do think of the dancers and say, well, that would be a great ballet for, to bring for so-and-so. And then there are other ballets like uh, Winter Dreams that will be challenged, challenged for the dancers because it's not just pure t- technical dancing. It has to b- be about telling a story, even in an abstract way. And uh, it's, it's um, acting, it's, uh, it's different. Um, and so often I think uh, making programs, it's like I look at that and say, well, if I could walk up to the box office of a theater tonight and see this is what their company is dancing, oh, yeah, I would buy tickets to that. You know, it, it's that kind of feeling. I uh, wanting to challenge the audience to bring to them uh, something that is different, something new. Um, being at McGregor or being at uh, Little Mermaid, or whatever. So
0: uh,
1: I, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> it's just it's it, it's a it's a big puzzle for me, and it takes a long mm-hmm. time to uh, mm-hmm. to come uh, to that conclusion. What works, and and also there are times that there may be a financial strain. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't do just anything I want. I have a budget. Like everybody else, and um, and to make a program that will work in the sense of for the dancers challenge the dancers, uh, be interesting to the audience. Um.
0: The considerations of music.
1: Oh yeah, you know, and and how, you know, what is yes, absolutely. I think of okay, if I put these let's say three ballets together on that program. I think what what is the visual thing does. Does one of the ballets have sets? Or are they all just abstract? Do I want that? Um, what is the music? Is it very uh, similar? Maybe that should mm-hmm. be on the, all that mm-hmm. on the program. I like kind of variety. All that comes to play. Uh-huh. Everything.
0: I wondered, In you mentioned um, perhaps acquiring a piece for a particular dancer, um, which I think every director since the beginning of time has done that. Um, what about... I don't know whether you would actually acquire the piece or take a piece you already have. And then cast dancers, um, on the one hand, because they're so suited to the role, and on the other hand, because maybe it would be a learning experience for a particular dancer to take on a particular role. Does that play in?
1: Yes, it does. Because, um, yes, there are dancers who are absolutely ready for a certain role. And then there are others that... uh, how can I say? Have to, you have to build up to it. So maybe by starting doing this type of ballet, we'll eventually get to the next step, which is ends up maybe be maybe Swan Lake or whatever. But uh, I think of that too, giving them a, a sort of what I call bricklaying.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you told a story, so I think I can. It's fair to remind you of it. Um, a few years ago, um, we were doing *Prodigal Son*. And you had the motivation to cast Gennady. And you said that that was a little bit of a a challenge, whether he could actually fill that part. And, of course, he was brilliant. But maybe that would be a good example of giving a dancer a part in order to... um, To grow into it. To grow. Yes,
1: absolutely. Yes. I think it's very important Uh Mm -hmm. um, to... um, to give them that challenge, to, uh, to rise to the occasion. To, and there are dancers um, that are more suited to what I call the, the abstract, the physicality of dancing. And then there are other dancers who have um, uh, in them that sort of acting ability to tell a story maybe better than others. Mm-hmm. So you look at that and mm-hmm. you, um, and there are times that I say to myself, I think so-and-so has something more in them than they're letting out. So I will give them a role uh-huh. to, to do and, and find uh-huh. out if, they're, if, it, if, uh, if I was right. And uh, <laughs> hopefully I was right most yeah. of the time.
0: So. Mm. Um, how do you find works? Do choreographers come to you? <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Um, do you um, do you scout works? You mentioned... That you happen to see a piece, and that you think you'd like it for your company. Oh, that, that
1: absolutely—that also that happens that? a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, mm-hmm. uh, I try to see uh, other, choreo- other choreographers' work, um, not only in New mm-hmm. York or, or, let's say, in Europe, and, and um, see what, they're, what mm-hmm. they are doing and how that would fit for our company mm-hmm. to bring something to San Francisco that we will normally not see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do get a lot of um, DVDs sent to me by choreographers. Uh, and it's, it's not always easy to tell from a DVD. Um, it may be a performance that is not f- filmed terribly well to see what, what the okay. work is like. I would prefer to see the, the, a live work, You know, look at a live performance of that particular choreographer uh, that would be my preference. But there are times I say, wow, this, is, this looks very, very interesting. Let me explore that.
0: What is the advantage to having resident choreographers? You are listed as our company's principal choreographer. We have Yuri Posakov who is listed as resident choreographer. And then among the group is Val mm-hmm. Um What are the advantages to having the in-house choreographer?
1: Well, originally I... I did it in the sense of helping those mm-hmm. up-and-coming co- choreographers to get them started, mm-hmm. give them an, a forum, give them an opportunity. Um, Val had already started to, to a choreograph when I came here, but I encouraged him to do more And uh, by choreographing only for the company, but in the meantime, he has started to choreograph for many other co- uh, companies, and uh, so that has you know, helped him to become the choreographer he is. And the same thing with Yuri Posakov. What I saw a little piece he had done, that I felt that uh, this was someone I should really encourage to continue. And um, so I did that. So uh, yes, they're, they're called uh, choreographer in, resi- in residence or resident choreographer. So it, it's good to have. And uh, it, in both cases, both Val and, and Yuri, they know the company very well. They know the dancers very well. and They see their, their strengths. And so when they cast their ballets, they, um, uh, it's not so much of a guessing work if so-and-so is going to be what they really hope to be. So it works very well.
0: Let's turn to you, the piece that uh, you premiered on this season, um, on this program, uh, which is called Trio. The music is... Tchaikovsky. I'm uh, very curious to know, did the Tchaikovsky theme come about intentionally? Um. Uh,
1: (laughs) uh, Yes and no. (laughs) Meaning, um, I chose the music that I was going to use, um, Souvenir de Florence. and um, Originally, I had thought it was going to be on a different program than it ended up being. And then I realized that uh, when I was, had almost choreographed the whole piece, that for various reasons it would be better, it would be very nice if it could be on an old Tchaikovsky program. And um, it just worked better for many different reasons, for the, some of the castings, with dancers from the other program, um, with, production, you know. So I just chose to put it on that program, and I, I thought it would be a very good, a nice idea to do that, because it's not very often we have a, a one composer for the whole evening.
0: I'm going to turn on um, the pictures. <laughs> um, here we go. Um, so we have in the... This is a piece in... Uh, four movements. Yes. And, yes it is. Yeah, and tell us a little bit about the piece of music.
1: Well, it's uh, Tchaikovsky's uh, Souvenir de Florence. And um, I had heard that music many, many years ago when I was in New York City Ballet. Uh, actually, I do remember on one of the um, special festivals that we had in New York City Ballet, we had a Tchaikovsky festival. hmm Mm-hmm. And I, I, the ballet master uh, John Tarras, had used this score. But I have to admit, uh, it, I, I couldn't remember very much about the ballet. I was not in it, and during that festival we did so many ballets okay. that, I just, I couldn't remember. But I remember liking the music. Yeah. So um, this time I, I got it out and started listening to it. Um, and the more I listened to it, I, I felt it was not um, like a one solid piece in, in like in as uh-huh. a, a, a symphony, but there were like three different pieces. Mm-hmm. And um, the more I thought about it, and the more I thought about the title being Souvenirs de hmm Remembrances, Incidents, or whatever you want to, to call mm-hmm. it, that I felt that in, in a way within the score, they were just sort of three different um, moments. Uh, matter of fact, the third and the fourth movement were written in Russia, whereas the first two were written mm-hmm. in, in Florence. And uh, I felt there was a, a slight difference in, in, uh, in the tone. Um, so I approached it uh, in that way, just to always keep in mind he had called it souvenirs, meaning remembrances. Mm-hmm. So that's how I approach it.
0: Well, we're looking at what I think is the first movement. Yes. Um, the most gorgeous costumes. Oh, if one of those costumes turns up missing, <laughs> <then> <laughs> check my closet. Um, there's an ensemble in each. Uh, there were what five? Uh, Ons. Uh, five couples. Five couples. Five couples. Yeah. In and the then, th- and, th- and then there's a solo couple in the first movement.
1: Yes, and five couples.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, second movement has.
0: Uh, there we are, the second movement.
1: Uh, three people: two men and a woman, and then again in the, in the third and the fourth. Okay. There again, lead that couple, and five couples.
0: And as you can see, the colors are this rusty gold, burgundy. And unfortunately, we can't see the backdrop, which is the most beautiful, burnished gold. What was your... I mean, other than somewhere in Florence. <laughs> uh,
1: or Russia. Or Russia. <laughs> okay. um, I didn't mm-hmm. want it to look a picture of a ballroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be abstract enough that there, there are some architectural mm-hmm. um, references in that, that backdrop that you know sort of you use your own imagination. It's not specifically that or this, but it sort of all conveys that you are you might be in a place where there is uh, beautiful surroundings and.
0: Who did the designs for the costume and the set?
1: Mark. Mark did that. The same one who did uh, Yuri's um, Raku.
0: Oh, yes. Mark Zapone. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, very talented designer.
1: Very, very talented, yes.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if we have one more picture or if that's the last one. Yeah, that and was the last the one. And this
1: was done by Alex um, Nichols. So, it was... A collaboration. Mm-hmm,
0: yeah. mm-hmm. Um, I wondered if discussing Winter Dreams, you've already mentioned it. It asks dancers to act. Um, when you're, when uh, this question is often asked, um, do do you cast the work? Does the Repetitor who's coming in and staging the work or the choreographer casts the work. How do, does that ensemble of acting dancers get chosen?
1: Well, I've always, in my policy, when choreographers come in to do a new work for the company, uh, I've always given them a, a free hand of choosing whoever they wanted, whatever they thought would be enhance their work the best and convey their work. Um, in the case of Macmillan's work when Grant came um, he obviously had very sort of specific ideas of of the roles that were required and looking at the people um, so it was a sort of combination of both and, um, and also one of my um, assistant, Bruce Sansom who is from the Royal Ballet who used to dance with the Royal Ballet and had danced this ballet he was also very much of a, of a Uh, how can I say, um, a guide in uh, identifying dancers within the company that he thought might be right for it. But between that and me suggesting people and Grant uh, choosing, it sort of all came together. But I think I let him be the the major force in choosing who he thought would be right for it.
0: Because we... Have are lucky to have you with us this evening and this is our one chance. During this particular season um, we're going to talk about Capella, okay. <laughs> which is um, still a month away <clears throat> but uh, it's a significant part of this season and I guess harking back to our the beginning of our conversation when you're... That's alright, I don't need that anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, put it in the plant. Um, when when you were planning a season, did Capella was Capella on the horizon as let's say the um, kind of the linchpin to a season, or did it come? How how long ago did we were we able to start planning a production of Capella?
1: Um, at least a year and a half ago. Yeah, about a year and mm-hmm. a half ago, close to two mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it came about um, that Peter Boll, who was a director of the, of the, in the Seattle company, who used to dance in New York City Ballet, he had called me and said that they had gotten permission to redesign uh, Valentine's Coppelia and would I be interested in uh, co-producing it? And uh, I said, yes, I would be. Um, The thought had occurred to me Mm -hmm. over the years I've been here to be nice to have Coppelia uh, of Balanchine, but it was one of those situations where sometimes companies we can rent from one another, productions or costumes, but New York City ballet does not do that. And um, this was a, a very big production that had done originally. With Ruben Teratunian as the uh, designer. And I felt it was sort of out of the. Unable to, I was unable to mm-hmm. do that production here. And then when Peter called me and they could do a new production of it, uh, I said, absolutely, I would. You know, it's balancing choreography, but just different costumes and scenic elements. So that's how that came about.
0: So you knew maybe a year ago, let's say, or a year and a half ago, yeah. that Coppelia was going to be the centerpiece of this season. Um, how did that influence the rest of what you chose to go on the season to amplify what you've already told us a little bit? Um, we ended up um, with...
1: Again, I like to go with contrasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coppelia is, is a wonderful... Uh, Uplifting, almost comic ballet, great for family and bring children to. So I I like that, the contrast to some of the repertory that we were Mm -hmm. dancing, calling it, uh, let's say, Mermaid, or even Giselle. So that was, for me, that is something that I look to. Mm -hmm. And um, the combination of other ballets that were coming in, Winter Dream, um, McGregor's, Chroma. Um, this is just part of what I do, how I mix things up. Don't ask me how I mix it up, but I, I do.
0: <laughs> I have to let you in on, a, on a, something that we heard. Um, your ballet masters have actually said you have an uncanny ability to do programming. You just seem to have an amazing instinct for knowing what will go with what, so you can. Well, th- they're they're very complimentary about that.
1: Well, thank you. Think, uh,
0: <laughs> we heard them say that.
1: I, I I think I have to admit that I think um, my wife also has a lot to do with it.
0: <laughs> Credit where credits due. <laughs> Okay, Coppelia. So the company is given the wonderful opportunity to do this piece. It holds a rather special place in your life and heart and career. Tell us about that.
1: Yes, um, it definitely does because when it was created in the 70s, uh, I was dancing with the New York City Ballet and Balanchine uh, decided to mount Coppelia and he got together with um, Alexandra Danilova who he had at one point been married to and was still teaching in the school so they got together and tried to remember sort of what they had what could remember from their youth days in Russia Um, and what they couldn't remember Balanchine just choreographed and filled it in with choreography Um, Danilova remembered a lot of the the leading role um, what she did in the mine Mm -hmm. Uh, and the, Mr. Balanchine chose uh, Patricia McBride and myself to dance the lead in that in the production of Capellia. and it was premiered in um, in the summer residence with a New York City ballet, hat, which was in Saratoga, upstate New York, and we did uh, seven performances in a row, and Patty and I we did all seven in a row, <laughs> which is. Quite an undertaking because you'd still have to think of there were the dress rehearsals and, and the tech rehearsals, and, and there was no one else at mm-hmm. that time. And that was a typical balance you know, mm-hmm. Once he chose uh, uh, dancers for his ballet, whatever, whichever ballet he choreographed, he would very much just go with that one cast. Mm-hmm. And they would dance that for a long time before he would sort of finally decide that someone else should maybe learn it for whatever reason. So for the longest time, mm-hmm. uh, it was just Patty and I.
0: Uh-huh. I had heard that he would actually substitute another piece on a program rather than put a second cast into a, a work. That was not uncommon, yeah. uh,
1: mm-hmm. especially in uh, during repertory season mm-hmm. in New York. Uh, if so and so got maybe ill, mm-hmm. um, well, let's just put some something else that I have done on you know another balancing ballets on. And that's how that was done.
0: Well, that's not the case in our company. And no. you have an amazing depth in your um, ranks of principal dancers. So um, how, how was it cast that you could have multiple casts of uh, Well, like you
1: said, I Spanildas. have, have so many wonderful dancers in the company, that, and they need to dance, so I need to sort of spread things around as much as I can. And um, I will make decision on what in this particular case, with um, Judy fugate, who is uh, has been will be staging the ballet and has taught it uh, actually Judy was in the in the original production when I danced it um, so she asked me to um, identify people that she, I thought would be right for the leading roles and um, she still had the final say if, if, uh, if she agreed with me or not, but uh, I think it went very well. So <laughs> this is, um, I think I have three casts right now. Um. And I think the people that are, have been chosen are, are, the, are the right choices for this particular production at uh, this time.
0: Well, it's going to be more than exciting. It's a very large scale piece. There's lots of dancing that takes place.
1: There's lots of dancing, and there are lots of children.
0: Tell us there about the are, children.
1: There are 24 little girls in all in a pink little tutus. <laughs> and um, and it, it's quite interesting, because Balanchine used those 24 little girls, who are about, what, age? Um, 10, 11 years old? in his third act, basically they are the corps de ballet. And they do very intricate things. Amazing how, what, uh, which was very typical Balanchine. He, when he used children in his production, which he did quite often, uh, he very much believed in that. That was sort of the European, you bring the children in so they can sort of be smitten by, by the art form. Um, you never had the feeling that he sort of went down to their level and choreographed for that level. He always choreographed okay. up, so make made the little kids be challenged. And uh, it's amazing what he has done for them because it's not easy. Uh, and like I say, they, they serve basically as the corps de ballet in third act. But it, it's really truly great for, for family to bring in children.
0: There are lots of... Um, well, the music was written that way. This is in the tradition of the great classics of the 19th century to have um, your the, the ballerina and cavalier in whatever form they are. Yeah, the,
1: hierarchy. The
0: hierarchy, the top of the Hiarchy. pyramid. And then many, many solo parts. Yes. And so every principal in the company and soloist gets to do a little something. So you've got... I mean, every dancer's got to be involved can't imagine.
1: Well, there are a majority of the companies involved, yes. yes.
0: And then there's the second act in which um, Franz spends the whole act sound asleep, <laughs> 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 trying not to get s- cramps.
1: Sort of, yes. He, he sneaks into <laughs> Dr. Coppelius' um, room where he's making these dolls, which he believes become, come to life. And um, Dr. Coppelius uh, pays a trick on Franz and, and makes him drink. He thinks he's drinking wine, but there's something in it, so he falls asleep. And, true enough, he sleeps in that chair for better part of the second act. Um, which um, can be quite difficult. <laughs> because, you know, you, you're sitting there but well, kind of pretending to be asleep and you, you know that the ballerinas is dancing one dance after another and you just sit there. <laughs> um, I have to admit that on one occasion up in Saratoga when we did this, um, sometimes it could get quite cool at night. And because of that, um, they tried to, to... Or they rigged up uh, an electric blanket <laughs> to put on the seat for me, because you know you have to get up and I have to dance hard things in the third act, and if you just sit there and it's a little chilly, you know. So they pretended, well, Doctor Capelli pretended he put me to sleep and put a little blanket over my legs and whatever. But uh, there was somewhere between the fifth and the sixth performance of in a row of Capella, and it was hard. I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was kind of a scary because I suddenly, you know, I, I, I got <laughs> a And I realized somehow immediately that I couldn't really open my eyes. But, and it was like, what, what music? Where are we in music? Am I supposed to be still asleep or am I supposed to be up and, and around? But I don't think I slept very long, but I did fall asleep.
0: Well... On that note, um, this is <laughs> one of our favorite times is to get the audience to ask you some questions. And sure. I'm sure there are other wonderful experiences you could reminisce about. But um, let's get our audience to ask some questions, and let's be sure that we repeat the question when we've heard it. So does somebody want to... Don't be tongue-tied. Okay. Yes.
1: a good question, how much how strictly do we have to stay with the Balanchine or or Robbins choreography Uh, unfortunately I never had the opportunity to dance Macmillan's choreography but definitely a great deal of Balanchine and Robbins Robbins trust that sends out uh, repetitors to teach things his ballets here are extremely strict Uh, and that doesn't surprise me because even when I was in the company in New York City Ballet and he used to choreograph there there was, you know you couldn't vary at all I mean, that's exactly what he wanted and that's exactly what you had to dance Balancing was different um, There were times that let's say um, I took over a role and danced with, let's say Patricia McBride or Gelsie Kirkland or whoever and maybe the original step within the pas de deux or the variation maybe didn't suit us, he would just change it. He said, no, I, don't worry about it, I will change it for you and that, that will work for you. Which has uh, resulted in a little bit of different people remember different things. So when they're staging things, it's basically the original choreography or, or at least close to it, as close as, as everybody remembers. Um, the ballets that I'm familiar with or the ones I danced, uh, if I see something that looks different, and I will, then I will voice that to whoever comes here to stage it. Uh, that I say, that's not what I did and Mr. Balanchine taught me, but maybe it got changed later. And there are th- times that it has changed slightly. And, and I think, in all fairness to Balanchine, he would be the first one to... To say it would change and will change after you had gone. But uh, I, they try to be as strict as they can, but I think uh, Robin's trust is even more strict. Talking about uh, Yuri Posakov's Raku. Yes.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Obviously it would be a very good question for Yuri to answer this. <laughs> 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 but you know, I the only way I can answer you is as I said earlier, when I saw a little piece of Yuri's had choreographed some years ago. You know, I felt that he had a talent and should be definitely encouraged. Uh, Year is a, a true artist, and I think he will... Uh, he shows you that when you think of classical symphony, which we are dancing right now, which is more in the traditional uh, classical vocabulary but still with a modern or contemporary twist to it. And then Raku, which is a story and tells uh, more of a drama. And uh, I think he has done a fantastic job with both of those ballets. And uh, I'm very, very happy for him. So, if you haven't seen it, it will be probably on next year. So it's, it's recent, So, oh,
0: we were hoping so. <laughs> Somebody else. When it comes to casting, are the dancers expected to be totally passive, or are they
1: allowed to ask the audition for particular roles? Other than let's say a choreographer coming in to choreograph a brand new work, he or she has a free hand to choose anybody they want. Uh, f- and that means if they want somebody in the court of ballet to be the lead in that particular ba- ballet because they feel it would enhance their work, I give them that freedom. Um, Repetitors who come from outside to state a work existing work, uh, some of them already know the company, somebody they have come frequently and they have a pretty good idea whom they want in those particular roles uh, I will suggest very often if they're not sure uh, everything else I'm the one who does the casting so it's not a question you audition for it it's what I think is right for you it's a um, dictatorship
0: I was just going to say <laughs> <laughs> we we learned as those little pink girls in the co in the baby core it's not a democracy it's the never never will be <laughs> um, we have time for maybe a couple more Has someone Talking about Eaton
1: Eden, Eden by by McGregor,
0: and how different Chroma is, or is it? Um, yeah.
1: First of all, unfortunately, there's no DVD. Uh, I, I wish we could film more of our repertory and put on DVD, but it's extremely expensive uh, undertaking and um, hard to get uh, you know funding for it. So that's one of the reasons. Whereas when you see uh, maybe European companies, Royal Ballet in England or Paris Opera, because they are so much, uh, a majority of their funding comes from the government, it just works differently. Um, in this country, we have to find money for it and it's, it's very difficult. So it's not available on, on DVD, unfortunately. Um, Chroma, his other work is coming this season. Um, Will I bring back Eden Eden? I'm not sure. Um, I I thought it was wonderful work. I liked it a lot. I uh, would be more inclined to ask McGregor to do a new work for us, original work. But uh, I don't rule it out that it will come back.
0: Part of her question was, um, as we look forward to seeing Chroma, is it different from or similar Uh, to Eden Eden? Oh, yeah, it's different. Um,
1: Eden Eden had to do with cloning. And uh, it was sort of, lighting was dark and um, setting was dark. Uh, interesting lighting sometimes. Uh, with whereas this is more, um, the space is more uh, open, uh, kind of a just... Uh, I don 't want to say white, but it 's uh, on, on a lighter side uh, visually. Um, his movement is uh, extremely um, interesting and complex. Uh, it is the body the, what the dancers have to do body wise i 'm amazed they can move so in how they move uh, i didn 't know that body could move like that, <laughs> but somehow he makes them do that. Um, and that is something that I think is um, quite unique about his choreography. So there is a similarities, but there are it's very two different very two different works.
0: Well, I'm sorry to say it's that time. It's been our privilege to be in conversation with artistic director and principal choreographer Helgi you.